2nd of November I guess it's fortuitous or coincidental or I don't know fit that we are having this discussion and I really didn't didn't do this on purpose but it is fortuitous I suppose that we are having this on the 106th anniversary I think 106 years uh, of the Belfort Declaration which really kick-started this entire thing off and I will be talking about the Belfort Declaration but it happened on 2nd November 1917 okay, so uh, good evening, good night everyone so I will be discussing the Palestinian uh, conflict uh, issue tonight and uh, feel free to type in your questions and again, pardon me for the incoherence that's going to come up uh, because this is sort of impromptu. I did this honestly. It was at Khalid's insistence. I, I was wondering whether I should do an episode because I, I already went on Plan B uh, and that is a podcast with far more reach than mine. So please check out that episode where I, I did discuss the Palestinian issue and my thoughts on it. But I thought, okay, just just have it here as well. So I really wanted to talk about four or five things. Feel free to type in your comments or questions. And I'll see. I mean, I, I wanted to just keep it short today. I want to keep it short. Uh, we'll see how it goes. So I wanted to talk about four or five things. So the first is I wanted to just give a little bit of a historical background to this, to this conflict. Second, I'll talk about the current situation. Third, I wanted to talk about the dehumanization, the consistent dehumanization of Palestinians, which, of course, is unacceptable. Fourth, I wanted to talk about anti-Semitism, which has been on the rise, and it is something that uh, is a scourge, and I wanted to unpack that a little. Uh, and finally, we'll, we'll talk about Singapore as well, okay? and what, what it means for Singapore in terms of foreign policy and domestic politics and so on okay so first of all uh, we'll go we'll go uh, with history so the first theme is history and one of the things that you always hear from people right oh, oh this issue is complex right this issue is complex um, okay maybe some parts are complex uh, some parts are not that complex so when people say that, I think we, we, it's incumbent on us to ask them, what, what do you mean? Which parts are complex? What do you mean? And if it's complex, or is it complex beyond, beyond comprehension? Or is it that you're using it as, as a reason, as an excuse for you to, not to say anything meaningful about, about the issue, right? So uh, Dr. Norman Fickelstein, he said that one of the things that he found was that this issue, he was surprised at how not complex this issue is. Right? Uh, Elon Pep, uh, he, he, he also said something similar. And there are some things which are complex about this conflict, but some things are not. And this conflict didn't start on 7th October, as horrendous as the events of that day were. This conflict didn't even start on 6th October or 1st October 2023. Right? This conflict started way, way back. It didn't even start with the founding of Israel, the state of Israel in 1948. One could very well point towards 1917 as the point in which this thing started, and that is the Belfort Declaration. Right? The Belfort Declaration, 
which is uh, which was signed or uh, it was uh, uh, declared on the 2nd of November 1917 where the British um, the British government well at that time the time of the empire and talking about Palestine which was gonna go to the British uh, because the Ottoman Empire was in decline it was seven years before the dissolution a few years before the dissolution of the of the Ottoman Empire and the British uh, was uh, was gonna govern Palestine and and there was a mandate uh, mandate of Palestine but in 1917 the Belfort Declaration was essentially the British government promising to the Zionist uh, Jews uh, the land that was Palestine uh, it, the British promising the Zionists the land uh, that was Palestine so in the in the words and the Palestinians were not at the table the Palestinians were not consulted Palestinian statehood were, were not was not on the table so Palestinians were in the land <coughs> were in Palestine there were Palestinians there was Palestine and unfortunately they were not part of this Belfort Declaration and in the words of George Galloway right the Belfort Declaration is essentially this it was one man on behalf of one people so one man and that's Arthur James Belfort the British Foreign Secretary one man on behalf of one people on behalf of the British promising to another man uh, Lord Rothschild on behalf of another people the Zionist Jews the land which belonged to a third people the land which belonged to the Palestinians and you notice there was no Palestinian representative there Professor Rashid Khalidi calls the Belfort Declaration the first declaration of war on the Palestinian people so it was at the end of the Ottoman Empire and when there was talk about Arab uh, statehood so all, all the different nations uh, there were there were talk of them being granted the right to self-determination which is a right under the UN a right to self-determination means the pop each population can decide um, the statehood right? they, can, they are entitled to statehood so every Arab uh, population was granted uh, that or almost every Arab population was promised that except the Palestinians now why was the Belfort Declaration signed uh, why, why did that happen well a few reasons one is the most important reason of course is strategic right it's about uh, protecting british interest and protecting the empire and of course egypt and india were the two of the most important parts of the british empire and therefore uh, britain wanted to protect uh, its interest in egypt of course palestine borders uh, egypt another reason uh, that has been given by historians is that there was a lot of anti-Semitism in Europe at that time, even way before the Holocaust. Uh, there is a history of anti-Semitism in in Europe, and the the British, like many other European countries, were happy to have a state for the Jews and send their own Jews there. Right? They wanted to get rid of their Jews, and they were happy to to have them move to another place and that was what happened of course that's not the main reason but that is uh, a motivating factor for a lot of uh, what happened back then in 1917 the Belfort Declaration but essentially it was about protecting the interest of the empire so so from the outset the Palestinians were excluded from that right? 
and you see that where this was going right once uh, the state of israel was formed and the palestinians uh, were not palestinians were not recognized even though when they live in that own land uh, there was always going to be a problem right i will return to this slogan later right so one of the slogans that uh, the zionists use when they were campaigning for uh, for palestine to be uh, to be their land they said a land without people for a people without land so a land without people so palestine a land which didn't have people for a people without land so for the jews which didn't who didn't have a, a homeland of their own at that point in time and you can understand the second sentiment because the jews were really oppressed and repressed throughout, throughout a lot of their history most most of their history and that's factual right but the first part uh, a land without people so who were the what were the palestinians if they were not people right so there was already that dehumanization that was taking place from the get go now oh, so i i will skip over some important uh, important dates uh, but the, the the most important years 1917 Balfour declaration 1948 the founding of the state of israel 1967 uh, the six day war and the start of occupation um, Uh, so those those would be the three main ones uh, and of course you had uh, the oslo accords in the 1990s which i may get to later on but 1948 uh, the state of israel was formed and nakba the dispossession of the palestinians then 1967 where the arab a few arab countries got together uh, got together loosely because it was eventually arab disunity that uh, undid them but they got together they attacked uh, Israel uh, they they fought a war with Israel uh, and Israel won defeated them comprehensively and expanded uh, the the territorial occupation or started the uh, territorial occupation and UN resolution 242 is about 1967 about how uh, Israel needs to end its occupation uh, that uh, that intensified or started with the 1967 war the, the aftermath of the 1967 war so if you look at the map of uh, israel and palestine right so palestine there are two two parts to it one is the the west bank uh, so jerusalem and that borders uh, that's that borders uh, jordan and the other is gaza which borders egypt right so in between it's all all israel so and you have those those two parts are occupied now and this is important so west bank and uh, west bank and gaza they are separated by by huge chunks of land in between which which uh, of course is israeli land uh, but both areas are occupied right and that's important because i'll get to that later on so that's 1967 so You can say that the Palestinians, the Palestinian story is a story of dispossession since 1948 and occupation since 1967, right? So when I say occupation, I I do mean occupation. Anyone who has been there, who has been to Palestine, would know that there are military checkpoints, uh, that there uh, freedom. There is there is little freedom of movement uh, in uh, Palestine for the Palestinians, right? So it's literally an occupation, right? So at various times, like in Gaza, there was even blockade, right? So it's more than just occupation. But uh, at the baseline, the baseline there is occupation. 
So that was 1967. Now, the Oslo Accords, which happened in the 1990s, uh, that was supposed to be the path to peace where there was a moderation on the part of uh, Ishaq Rabin, the, the Israeli leader, and Yasser Arafat, uh, the Palestinian leader. And there was supposed to be some compromise between the Israelis uh, and the Palestinians. Um, and even though, of course, it wasn't like a lot of this agreements right there's still some ambiguity right to allow for some flexibility uh, so but by and large it was celebrated uh, that was celebrated not by interestingly it wasn't celebrated by uh, many palestinians so some did but many palestinians didn't in fact professor edward said called it the palestinian versailles right there were many people who rejected it and saying arafat didn't have the mandate to actually do whatever he did and compromise and give up uh, a lot of the land that that uh, in that eventual solution a peace solution uh, but but essentially the Oslo Accords did take place right and that was supposed to be the blueprint for peace and people talk about the two state solution uh, which is something Singapore supports as well the international community supports other people have talked about the one state solution instead of having a two state solution where Arab state Palestinian state Jewish state just have one democratic state where every citizen is equal, right? Um, and I think that that is appealing in theory. I don't see how the Israelis would, would accept that. I mean, I just don't see the pathway to that. Uh, so if that is possible, then I say, okay, fine. Uh, but a two-state or one-state solution for me, it's, it, what mat it doesn't matter what matters the most, what is the path pathway to peace, right? Because it has been war and occupation has been going on for way too long right? uh, but we'll get to that later on so so those are the historical uh, dates right so 1917 Belfort declaration 1948 founding of Israel and Nakba the dispossession of the Palestinians 1967 the uh, the Arab wars which eventually re uh, resulted in uh, Israeli occupation of uh, West Bank and uh, Gaza after the the defeat of uh, the Arab uh, countries and the Arab armies. So hopefully that is that is really and and the Oslo Accords in the early nineties and that is really a very very brief history of uh, of this particular conflict. Those are the main dates I would say. Right? But if there is only one, then I would say it's nineteen seventeen, and that really set the tone for whatever was going to happen uh, later on. Now that's that's the history, right? What now? And I see that a lot of uh, the way that this is being framed now is Israel and Hamas is the Israeli Hamas war, right? And to some extent, of course, that's true. And what Hamas uh, did on uh, seven October October was of course unacceptable. And I think any fair-minded, any decent person would would find that unacceptable, right? The killing of innocent people is always unacceptable. So. Um, so there's that. Uh, two things I wanted to add to that. First of all, Hamas is in charge of Gaza, uh, and that's uh, has that has been the case since 2006. Even though elections haven't uh, taken place since then, they were elected, but elections haven't been haven't been uh, taking place since then. So they've been suspended. Uh, but Hamas is not in the West Bank, but the West Bank is still occupied. Right. So. Uh, for people who want to say, oh, what about, what about, oh, this is, this is about Hamas, this is about Hamas. Yes, I mean, Hamas is a, 
an important part of it since 7 October especially. Uh, but there's West Bank. Hamas is not there. But occupation is still there. Hamas, ex Hamas uh, was formed in the 1980s. Right? But the occupation started way before that. Right? So Hamas is an important part of the picture. We cannot ignore that. But it's not uh, the most important part of the picture. right? Because there are other uh, moving parts of this as well. So, so that's the... Uh, that's uh, currently what is happening and as you know in Gaza there's a uh, blockade there's there's attacks on civilian population of course the Israeli government uh, has said that it's not targeted but the question I would ask is if let's say Hamas was hiding in other populations in in Tel Aviv would the Israeli government attack in the way that that they do and if the answer is no then we have to ask the question is it because Palestinian civilian lives are considered collateral damage whereas other civilian lives are not considered collateral damage uh, so I think anyone who has been watching and following this conflict closely it's it's very very hard not to have your uh, heartstrings being tapped, right? It's it's very hard to not feel angry, uh, upset, uh, and emotional about this, uh, as as we all should. When we see, and if we are not emotional about children dying and children being killed, well, I don't know what we should be emotional about, right? Um, but not just children, right? Men, women, people, just innocent people uh, are dying, right? So. So the current situation is that the current situation is now we have a a government in Israel which is increasingly becoming more right wing under Netanyahu and the coalition government um, and we know that a lot of people do not benefit from war most people do not benefit from war but some people do whether it's politically and whether it's whether the Israeli right-wing government, whether it's Hamas, there some people do uh, do benefit from war, um, and that's the unfortunate reality of trying to attain peace. So, currently, that's where we are at. the The US has been supporting Israel, and that is the most crucial part. If the US doesn't support Israel, then it will not be able to uh, to get away with a lot of the things that it gets away with. So even if there's international condemnation, as long as the the support from the U.S. is is really strong, then uh, it's unlikely that it will whatever is happening will change. Now, however, this time round, I am a bit optimistic. I am a bit optimistic because what I have seen today is something I have never seen before, which is I've seen far more uh, far more outpourings of support from. Uh, from people, especially uh, uh, those who are not Muslim. So Muslims have always been interested in this issue, right? So this issue has always been an important issue for Muslims because, I mean, uh, the Masjid al-Aqsa, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that's a, a holy site in Islam, and the Palestinian cause has always been uh, close to the hearts of Muslims. So Muslims have always been interested in this, but for the first time I see that there's more and more, it's increasing, right? Support for the Palestinian cause from non-Muslims, right? And, you know, the reality is, even though 
many of us in Singapore are passionate about this issue. The reality is public opinion in Singapore is not going to change much. Not that it's not going to change anything, but it's not going to change much. What matters the most is public opinion in the West, especially public opinion in America. That is what is going to change, right? Because if that changes, then the American government stand will change and then that will uh, exert some pressure on Israel, right? So, in the rest of the world, yes, it matters, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as what happens in America. So, that's why I am a little optimistic, uh, cautiously optimistic, and just slightly, uh, because this is this is not going to be the last time this happens, unfortunately, right? There will be escalation of violence, because occupation is still there. Occupation is still there. So, there will be, uh, so, in a sense, the conflict is ongoing, right? So, there will be escalation and episodic uh, bouts of violence, right? That will happen from time to time. Um, in s and occupation is there, and blockade is there, and there, there are all forms of uh, issues about human rights abuses and so on. So, this issue is not going to go away, right? So, this is really the, the, the long game, right? The long game. Uh, so, that, that is where we are at. Uh, currently, I hope I sufficiently uh, talked about uh, what is uh, the cu the current situation. And if you guys have any questions, if it's unclear, I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but if uh, you have any questions, feel free to type them in. Right? No. So the third thing I wanted to talk about is a theme that I have seen consistently, right? And this is the dehumanization of Palestinians. Right now, you can say that. Broadly speaking, it's related to, you know, Orientalism and how Arabs or specifically, specifically Muslims are otherized uh, by, by the world, especially by, by the West. Um, but in this particular uh, case, you can see that Palestinians in uh, particular are dehumanized. I already talked about uh, a land without people for a people without land. And that started very, very early on, even before the Belfort Declaration. That was the that, that was the slogan of many Zionists. And you you hear people saying, "Oh, we should raise uh, Gaza to the ground, or we should send them back to the Middle Ages." This is something people, Israeli politicians, have said over the years. Even uh, lately, there are no civilians in Gaza, and and you have to think, "Wow." If you can dehumanize an entire population, right? when you say there's there's no civilians in Gaza amongst two two point something million, basically you're saying they're fair game, right? They are either uh, Hamas terrorists or Hamas sympathizers, right? And therefore they're fair game, right? And there is no for for you there is no uh, nothing holding you back from uh, from destroying them, decimating them, and that dehumanization is extremely dangerous, right? That dehumanization can take many forms, and one of the ways that it has one of the ways that it has manifested is people equating Hamas to Palestinians, right? And Hamas is uh, is it? Of course, it did come out of Palestine. There are specific uh, socio-historical circumstances that uh, that resulted in the creation of Hamas, uh, but Hamas is not Palestine, right? Palestinians have existed way before Hamas. They will continue to exist way after Hamas. There is no Hamas in the West Bank. There is still occupation. And 
most Palestinians are not part of Hamas, and um, since 2006 there has not been there have not been elections, so they didn't get to vote for Hamas or not since then. Uh, so to equate Hamas and Palestine. Palestinians, I think, is a mistake, and I think for people who are more pro-Palestine, like myself, and especially uh, my friends who are who are Muslims, I think when you when we are being pro-Palestine, we need to understand there is no need for us, no need for us to defend the indefensible. So our our support for Palestine must always be based on principles. It cannot be based on ad hoc po or post hoc justification, right? So our support must always be based on principles, and I think, I think that history is on our side. Uh, but we will lose credibility when we start trying to defend the indefensible. When we tr start trying to rationalize attacks on innocent civilians, right? We will lose all forms of moral credibility, and then it becomes about might is right. And if it's might is right, we cannot win, right? Because <laughs> Israel will defeat the Palestinians. I think what we have in this right is. Is moral credibility if we are able to, uh, based on principle, criticize whoever needs to be criticized. So I have no problems criticizing Hamas for whatever they did because Hamas is not my role model, right? Uh, so for me, like it, it should be based on principles and it, the the loss of innocent lives, right? Whatever color, wherever they they are from, I think that is something we must be said and we must uh, we must be said about and we must we must condemn, right? Now at the same time. I wanted to also say right there is a tendency in Western media whenever it's a pro-Palestinian activist or it's a Muslim, right? The first thing they'll ask is, "Do you condemn Hamas?" Right? Do you condemn Hamas? And Basim Yusuf, uh, he he just did another interview with Piers Morgan, but his first one that was a masterclass in how somebody should uh, should respond. And I think the way the way he conducted the interview it really shows the power of comedy. And uh, he uh, he uh, he said um, that uh, if you want me to condemn Hamas, Hummus, Hassan, I'll condemn all of them, right? And and the issue is we have to ask. As I said, we have no problems. And when somebody asks us, we the first thing we should do is we just condemn, right? But then we should ask them, why do you ask me that, right? Why would you think that I would be okay with innocent people being killed? That's the first thing, right? And that's very insulting to me. That's very insulting when you are uh, asking me. And it's almost as if you are assuming that I'll be okay with this unless proven otherwise. And secondly, is this question only asked of Muslims? And if that is the case, then I would say it's a very prejudicial question, right? That's a very prejudicial question. So we must, yes, I'm happy to condemn, but then I'm going to ask you, do you condemn the killing of innocent people? And if you're not going to answer, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to stay there until you condemn it. And then I'm also going to ask, why do you only ask me? Why do you only ask Muslims this question? Right? And is it because a Muslim is guilty until proven innocent? Right? And that's something unacceptable and that's something we have to reject. Right? That's something we have to completely reject. Now Faisal said, why nobody talks about Hamas started and funded by Israel. Well, the, the, the issue is more uh, complex than that. I mean, even uh, the Netanyahu did talk about one of the ways that um, uh, to, that they want to maintain power, right, is to 
to support Hamas, right? To to ensure that Hamas is still in operation to give them justification. Right? I mean, he did talk uh, talk about this. Uh, so uh, it's not as if oh, like Hamas was completely like they were all Israeli agents. It's not. It's not like that. But there's there's real politics involved, of course. There's there's uh, there there are interests in keeping war going, as I. As I mentioned earlier, even though most people do not benefit from war, some people do. So the dehumanization of Palestinians, right? It takes place in many ways, right? So you hear, oh, I fully condemn this. The I fully condemn the killing of uh, Israelis, right? Palestinians. Hmm, how many people died? Right? How many people died? Where did they die? I'm sad about it, but do I really condemn? I think that is another form of dehumanization, right? And I think, just as I said, a fair-minded person, a fair-minded pro-Palestinian person should have no hesitation criticizing Hamas atrocities, right? I think somebody who is not, then please, uh, please uh, consider, uh, consider that. Uh, you have to consider why when the shoe is on the other foot, it, it suddenly becomes okay to not condemn, right? And that's, that's something we need to... So there's a question here about supporting Palestine is con considered ins is incitement. Well, I don't think actually it is. Uh, that is the position uh, of the government actually. But I'll get to that later on. Um, I would say that's a slight mischaracterization. But I'll get to that and then see whether you accept my, my explanation later on. Okay, so that's for the dehumanization of Palestinians. And I think when you dehumanize a person, you dehumanize a politician then uh, there will be uh, there will be um, it becomes much easier to justify violence against it now then this is an interesting uh, point right the asking for con condemnation maybe because there have been so many rallies where people celebrate the Hamas killings well first of all I'm not sure about the so many rallies but second of all interestingly I, I, I urge you uh, a whims more way to watch Basim Yusuf's second interview with Piers Morgan and he gave a few examples where you saw right-wing uh, extremists in Israel supporting, uh, celebrating the deaths and the killings of Palestinians including children over the years not, not just, not, not today but over the years, right? Um, if that is the case if that is the case, right? If Because there is that celebration therefore all Muslims have to disavow I've never seen Piers Morgan or anybody else ask that of uh, pro-Israeli people, right? So there is still that double standards, even though uh, you are right. If there are there are rallies where people celebrate the Hamas killings, then then yes, I think that that is highly problematic. I've already said that. I think that uh, people who support uh, Palestine do not need to do that, and they need to dissociate themselves from that. Actually, right? I'm just saying that there shouldn't be double standards. No. So that's about the dehumanization of Palestinians. Now the fourth point I wanted to talk about is anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism has been around for the longest time. And of course it culminated in the Holocaust, but but that's the most extreme. I mean that's the that's the the greatest tragedy of the twentieth century. But that's the most extreme form of anti Semitism. There are many other forms, far more insidious, um or far more quotidian, right? Everyday forms of uh, anti Semitism, right? So two things I wanted to say on this, right? One is when people who are criticizing Israel, you, 
you must you must ensure that you do not veer into the anti-Semitic uh, criticisms because that is completely unfair. That is completely unfair. That's just how like you, a Muslim wouldn't want somebody to uh, use a broad brush, right, to paint every single Muslim, right, based on the actions of one or a few people. So it's completely unfair for a person to do that. Secondly, just you know, as 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 a Muslim, uh, most most of the prophets that Muslims believe in, most of them are are Jews. Uh, so it doesn't even make sense. Uh, to be, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about from the Muslim perspective, to be anti-Semitic, right? So it doesn't make a lot of intellectual sense. Uh, and and finally, I think just practically also, so just on the moral level, I think it's, it's wrong, but also practically it takes away, again, it takes away the moral credibility when you are talking about about being pro-Palestine, right? So, uh, so uh, I think it doesn't make sense. Now, at the same time, at the same time, what I would say is this: is this, a lot of times people use anti-Semitism as an excuse. When when people criticize Israel, that's not criticizing Jews or the Jewish population, right? Because Israel is a political entity; it's not a racial or religious entity per se, right? Of course, there are racial and religious elements, but it is a political entity. So I refuse to accept that, right? When people say, "Oh, okay." When you criticize Israel, or oh, this is anti-Semitism. No, that's like saying, oh, if I criticize Sa the Saudi government, that's being Islamophobic. That, that's uh, that's a preposterous claim, right? So, Saudi government is fair game. You can criticize it, right? Because that's uh, and there there are plenty. There's plenty to to talk about when it comes to a government. So, uh, I think when we when we hear anti-Semitism, and yes, anti-Semitism, we must reject it, and it's it's a scourge. At the same time, we must not. Uh, as in, it cannot just be used, right? It cannot just be used to oh, any criticism of Israel is dismissed because of that, right? Uh, so there is a question: UN and Human Rights International has condemned Israel for human rights violations. So why hasn't UN and other countries calling for imposed sanctions, like how the world sanctioned Russia? Yeah, because um, because Israel is supported by US, and and that, as I said earlier, uh, if US public opinion turns then you'll see something different uh, here right so that's what uh, I would say for anti-semitism okay so finally right so we bring this back to Singapore right so what what happens right for Singapore so firstly I just wanted to say right that there are many people right many people I've seen who they will comment on every single issue, every single issue, every single social justice issue under the sun. Uh, and if there's an auntie that falls at the lift landing in Tampines, they'll comment about that also. And then they'll they'll write long posts about it. But when it comes to this, suddenly the cat got, got their tongue and they had, they had nothing to do. They had nothing, uh, nothing to say or they say some very vague, some very, uh, very asinine or meaningless things because they don't want to take a stand I don't know why because maybe they don't want to they don't want to offend the powers that be wherever they are or whatever it is they're afraid of getting cancer whatever it is I don't know right so I have no problems with people not saying anything right if they always do not say anything about important social issues because it's not it's not easy to comment on this it's, it's really not right? uh, but I do have a problem with people who comment on every single thing 
But when it comes to this, they suddenly cannot say. And then they write long posts about why they don't have anything to say. <laughs> That's the irony of it. They write long posts about saying, oh, I don't really have anything to say. and that, So I also don't know what to make of it, right? But anyway, so so going back to going back to Singapore, right? So what is the... Okay, before before I get to Singapore, there's a comment. Uh, Palestinians are Semitic people too. Yes, so the in the term, the term Semitic uh, re- does refer to Arabs as well, right? So people... But the the usage of the term anti-Semitism today uh, is it refers to anti anti-Jewish sentiments. Right? I feel like that's sort of a, a red herring. So okay, we don't want to call that anti-Semitism. Fine, we can call it whatever anti-Jewish uh, sentiments or whatever. It still means uh, the the concept is still the same, right? So I find that that's I've seen a lot of that response online, but I I find that. Uh, it's not a particularly convincing or persuasive argument, right? Uh, all right. So I'll get to the Singapore stand and then I'll try to uh, read uh, as many questions as possible. If I miss the questions, please feel free to retype them. <laughs> so uh, if you look at the Singapore stand, uh, Singapore has always maintained a pretty consistent stand on this, right? Supporting the two-state solution. And of course, Singapore has has ties with Israel, but Singapore is supportive of uh, Palestinian statehood as well. And uh, the genesis of Singapore's relations with Israel, uh, even though from the start, uh, Lee Kuan Yew did did know and recognize that the relationship with Israel is a potential thorny one with, with regard to the relationship with Malaysia and Indonesia, especially Malaysia, but also the Muslim community in Singapore because of the Palestinian issue. So, Lee Kuan Yew actually initially uh, approached Egypt and India for support for Singapore's military and, and both of them turned Singapore down because they probably didn't want to offend Malaysia. So, Singapore approached Israel and Israel helped and initially, I think they were disguised as Mexicans. So, I mean... Uh, the government, uh, Lee Kuan Yew, and uh, the government said, "Oh, they were Mexicans." But eventually, I mean, it it became an open secret, right? This, uh, this uh, special relationship between uh, Singapore and Israel, and I think that's a historical fact, and we cannot deny that. I think that's real politics as well. Um, we we cannot just ignore that. We cannot ignore the relationship, the military, economic relationship between between these two countries. Uh, at the same time, Singapore's uh, foreign policy has always been a friend to all and enemy to none, right? So ultimately, that is Singapore's foreign policy. And PM Lee actually said that it makes sense for Singapore to be uh, to have good relations with Israel and Palestine. And I think, given the the foreign policy thrusts, I think that's a perfectly reasonable stand uh, from from the government, right? Uh, I don't. Uh, and in fact, the uh, the the friendship is always based on interest and pr- principles, right? So it's not a an unconditional kind of trust or unconditional kind of love, uh, because there is no such thing, especially in international relations. So Singapore did vote uh, against Israel, right, in the in the United Nations vote uh, recently. So and that's significant, and that really encapsulate Singapore's stand on, on this particular issue and on most foreign policy issues as well. Uh, so always trying to 
to be as neutral as possible except when it comes to certain really core principles right while maintaining friendships with as many entities as possible now this time round also i would say that i uh, i have seen uh, more overtly i don't want to say pro palestinian rhetoric but you can see that it's more uh, palestinian friendly rhetoric uh, even though the policies and the stances have uh, have remained the same right so i think minister shanmugam early on he said that we we will see uh, it's okay to find to to find what the, the the conditions that the palestinians have gone through deplorable and he mentioned the word deplorable while at the same time condemning hamas which I'm completely on board with that, uh, with both parts of that statement. And then PM Lee mentioned that this issue is close to the hearts of Muslims, and I thought that was a that was a nice acknowledgement. And and also we mustn't pretend that that isn't the case, right? I mean, Muslims are the ones who feel the most about this issue. Of course, there are other people who do, uh, and I think that should be the case. But I think it's natural that Muslims would feel feel the most about this. And then President Taman, of course, uh, I think went even further with uh, with uh, his statement and. And I think the sum total of these statements uh, shows an acknowledgement on the part of the government. And you see a lot of donation drives by the government um, in in uh, support of the Gazans, the Gazan residents. Uh, so I think sum total, this is something that we should uh, we should celebrate. And that's the government recognizing that this issue matters matters especially to the muslims but to many others as well and this is something that we cannot just dismiss now of course there will be many people who who are not as pro-palestine as, as myself or others right and that's just the reality of life right and one of the things that we must understand and especially you know maybe some conservative christians have a, a different view of of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Now, of course, this issue is extremely close to my heart, and it is something I would fundamentally disagree with them. But ultimately, it wouldn't or it shouldn't affect our relationship in Singapore, right? So, this uh, the idea is if you import conflicts here, external conflicts. First of all, you do not solve those external conflicts. Second of all, you are creating more conflicts here, right? So it just doesn't make sense, right? So, to answer the earlier question, I think supporting palestine is considered incitement and i would say i don't think that that would be a fair uh, uh criticism of the government i think i have been uh openly pro palestine pro palestinian statehood um and i think i i i don't think we should make apologies for that um uh, i i don't think this would be considered incitement right so what would be considered incitement would be incitement now maybe i don't know uh, who was it was the one that, that asked that question? Maybe you are referring to the rally, right? Uh, maybe you are referring to the rally that was disallowed. And the government actually did mention why it was disallowed. Now, I, I think, I don't know whether Sarah is here. Uh, uh, if you are, please please say hi, Sarah. And uh, so uh, the organizers uh, did ask me for uh, for some advice and I did help them with, with crafting the uh, the statement, uh, the petition. So of course I am disappointed that the rally didn't take place. But just from the government's perspective, it makes perfect sense, right? Because if you're gonna, if there is any whiff of uh, potential racial and religious disharmony or dissent, then this is the Singapore government has always taken that seriously, right? I mean that's not my stand, but that has always been their stand, and 
if the government doesn't allow a pro-Palestinian and a pro-Israeli rally, I don't think you can say that that's being unfair, right? If they didn't allow the pro-Palestinian rally, but they allowed the pro-Israeli rally, then that then that's a problem, right? Uh, but that wasn't the case. And Minister Shanmugam said, oh, because there were calls for the pro-Israeli rally as well, so they, they just didn't, they took the safer approach of not allowing, right? Now, you may disagree with that, and I, I think I'm always for more, you know, openness and so on, but I don't think that's that's being unfair, right? So, uh, so even though I disagree with the decision, I don't think what I would say is, oh, that's the government being unfair. I, I would say the government is being too conservative, and that's fine. They, they have always been, and I think they have always said that when it comes to race and religion, they don't take chances, right? And because this particular issue, even though it is political at its heart, we cannot deny that, that there may be some religious or religious element to this, right? Because Muslims may be supporting one side, Christians may be supporting another side. So, so the worry on their part is that is ultimately Singapore's uh, racial and religious harmony. And every government, and the Singapore government, their primary responsibility, and some would say their sole responsibility, is to Singaporeans. It's not to other people, right? Um, so, uh, and that's what they are thinking about, right? They are thinking about uh, societal order and harmony. So, uh, so yes, I am disappointed with that decision, but I can totally see where they are coming from, especially since they were even-handed and didn't allow uh, any demonstration at all. Uh, so, so I hope I uh, cleared that up. So. I'm just trying to see whether I miss uh, some questions. Could you comment on the BDS movement and what it may take for it to work? Well, uh, like most uh, boycott movements, what it will take is a critical mass, right, uh, for it to work. So, um, what I would say is this, right, for people who are uh, engaging in BDS, uh, boycott, divestment and sanctions, so uh, boycotting uh, brands which uh, support Israel and so on. So you must, for those who want to do it, it mustn't be at the expense of uh, your own well-being. That's that's what I would say, right? So what would would it take for work? I mean, critical mass, right? So, um, and I think for me, as I said earlier, the the crucial factor here, what would change things, is public sentiment in the US. So I see BD, if BDS, right? It should be part of that, of changing that public opinion, rather than just crippling uh, Israel's economy per se, right? Because I think uh, it is really about the former rather than the latter in, in causing change. So why should we not uh, have a Palestine uh, uh, embassy? Well, we do have a representative uh, to Palestine uh, from Singapore. So the Singapore government does have uh, formal relations uh, with Palestine, right? Mr. Hawazi Daipi, the former PAP MP, he's the non-resident -represent, non representative of Singapore to Palestine. So, so yes, uh, that is our stand. Right? Um, so Arun asks, you've mentioned that you've seen a shift in public sentiments towards the Palestinians. What do you think explains this? Yes, I do think it is uh, largely social media uh, that has caused this. And I think it's very difficult. I think most people generally 
uh, are not evil, right? I won't go as far as saying most human beings are good, but there's goodness in most human beings. <laughs> but most people are not evil, and I think it's very difficult for a person, a human being, not to be emotionally affected when you see whatever you see uh, online, right? Whatever that has come out, uh, especially you know if Palestinians themselves putting up pictures and saying this, I think it's very difficult. Uh, it's very difficult to to um, to not feel anything. Right? Uh, so there is a question. Um, I shall not mention the the questioner because of the nature of the question. So I understand what Hamas did on 7 October was horrible, but how do we reconcile that with the idea that this was Hamas's way of resisting the oppressor? after being subjected to abuse for decades. The moment you start, which is true, that's exactly what they would say, right? It is true that that's what they would say. But the moment you abandon principles and say that this is justified because of this, then there's no end to that already, right? Anything can be justified based on a prior bad act. Right? Uh, so I feel like even in resistance, right, there must be ethics and principles involved in resistance right of course I, I i acknowledge i am saying this from the comfort of my own home and i'm not there so of course take this with many pinches of salt but i feel that the moment we open that door that okay because this happened to you and therefore everything is fair game i mean where do we where do we draw the line then what's the use of international law why do we need to have international law we we do we do this and so on and and yes yeah, so i think uh, nick said so when you are fighting monsters must one become a monster and the moment you do that i feel like you lose all forms of um all form of moral uh, authority or superiority on that and then what are you opposing on uh, if you no longer have moral uh, authority or credibility so that's that's that would be my response uh to that and i feel that the moment you open that door uh the door can never be closed already right? i mean the reason why we are critical of israel now is because they are abandoning international law in order to take out take out one or a few hamas leaders and then a few hundred people or a few thousand people are dying and we say this is unacceptable what if they also use that justification a prior bad act right and then there's no end to it yeah so which is why i think that we cannot we cannot do that now it's not just zizek who said this so uh nick said zizek said that oppression corrupts both the oppressor and the oppressed and it's fanon who said right in resisting colonialism right even the 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 resistor right gets transformed right spiritually right? um so yeah and that is uh, unfortunately uh, the case right um so yes so that is what uh, that is how uh, i would uh, end my final point if there are no more questions my final point was was really on that um on understanding how Singapore fits into all of this and I would say the 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 statements and the movements uh, the moves by the government so far I think have been have been pretty all right I think um, trying to maintain neutrality as much as possible while while giving a nod to the Palestinians and 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 Muslim sentiments uh, so I would say generally I have no no problems with that um, so Arun said, international law, laws and norms gain or lose credibility de depending on conformity to them as well as consequences for violating them, right? Uh, so 
Unfortunately, Hamas's actions. Unfortunately, Hamas actions were a gift to the Israeli Farah. Absolutely. So I think what what Hamas did. So in principle, I oppose it, but also just practically, right? I think it had the which I think it has changed now. But for a moment, it looked like it could have changed public sentiment, which was in the West slowly moving towards Palestine more, right? And I thought Hamas's actions reversed that, but then Israel's counter actions have. <laughs> counter reverse that mm. what do you think of the spread of misinformation at this point in time well it has misinformation has always spread right i think what is different now like social media allows a counter narrative on the part of so it's not just social media so one is social media it allows for a counter narrative but secondly you see, today we see more pro palestinian public figures which 10 years ago we would not have seen right so whether it's pop culture and so on, you know, uh, who's who, who's that <laughs> celebrity like something Hadid who's pro pro Palestinian, <laughs> um, so that person, uh, and then you have Mo Salah, of course, who publicly said that, uh, who publicly supported uh, the Palestinian cause, and that's for me that's huge, uh, and then you have the various people that Piers Morgan brings on. And these are people who are articulate and they can push back and they can really give a different side that Western audiences are not exposed to. So for all of my criticisms towards Piers Morgan, and believe me, I have a lot, I think he is one of the least uh, uh, culpable perpetrators in this uh, in this particular episode, in, in the mainstream media. A lot of them would never give such coverage to uh, the pro-Palestinian voices, right? So I think... Uh, we have is it oh Gigi and Bella Hadid okay thank you <laughs> so so I didn't uh, I don't really know too much about them uh, but all I know is they, they supported they publicly supported the Palestinian cause uh, so uh, so that's that's good and I think we see more and more of this today compared to to previously so it's not just social media uh, it's also the presence of this uh, more articulate pro-Palestinian voices uh, who have platforms that we've we've never seen uh, in the past. Yes, I can mention Basim Yusuf, definitely. So, uh, what are your views on Singaporeans criticizing MFA stand and statements it makes in regard to the conflict? Are they against our national interests if they criticize the balancing act we play? Well, well I think, first of all, anything should be up for debate and discussion. So, if a normal Singaporean is criticizing a particular thing. I don't think, oh, that's a traitor or that's going against national interest and so on, right? But what I would say is, what I would call for is a deeper understanding of real politics, which is what I tried to do. And I I mean, I understand that the, the genesis of Singapore's relationship with Israel, that's not something that we can just ignore and also the closeness of that relationship. And I think Singaporeans need to appreciate that. At the same time, the government acknowledges that the Palestinians uh, also deserve statehood and therefore they try to do that balancing act. And that balancing act is always, is not just in this issue. The government always tries to do that because our foreign policy trusts friend to all, enemy to none. And when we do offend others, is based, based on interest and principle. So uh, I think understanding that those foreign policy thrusts, I think is crucial. It's crucial for us because there will be other conflicts. And we must always go back to this foreign policy thrust, right? Uh, and as long as the government is consistent, I think we should, we should be uh, explaining and supporting uh, this thrust to, uh, to Singaporeans.
uh, what would it take to shift public sentiment in the US I think ultimately the language that politicians understand is the votes so if there is a strong movement right and I saw this I saw a few uh, leftists uh, pro-Palestinian activists saying that Biden will remember this if you do not call for ceasefire we will not vote for you and I think people must be willing to say they they should stop saying oh vote for the lesser evil no stop stop saying that right they must use their vote as a as a as a card you don't do this will not vote for you and they should not turn up the next time right so ultimately uh, when uh, there is votes and and that's why so what would it take to to reach there i would say all these public appearances uh, all these voices uh, people who are uh, who have uh, platforms talking about it and and so on do you think the extreme violence on Palestinian civ civilians captured and spread through social media will change the way people view Israel well I, I think it will I think it will so uh, the more people see it I think the more uh, public sentiment towards uh, Israel will change right is there still a point for UN's existence this is a, this is a good question and uh, and NJ had to ask this at 11.30, right? One hour in, right? So, UN is useful in, in many areas, but not in all areas. And we, we all understand that when it comes to the big powers, all countries which are supported by the big powers, the UN is extremely toothless, right? And this this is the case now. Now, it's not just Israel and US uh, support, right? Of course, you have Russia, the, the P5 countries, but also others, right? If they are supported by any of the P5 countries, then it becomes much harder for UN to do anything, right? Um, so, now, having said that, the moral authority of the UN leaders, right? I think it still matters, right? Because when they say something, nobody can cr criticize them. Oh, they are trying to politicize this, right? They're trying to... No, so when the, the UN chief was saying that there's, there's, this is a humanitarian crisis, we have to take it seriously, right? Uh, yes, so... Uh, as Nick said, the UN is important uh, theatre, but important theatre. Yes, uh, we all need a little bit of wayang in our life, right? Um, so, uh, it's a f it functions better as an avenue for expression than an avenue for direct conflict re uh, resolution. Yes, indeed. Alright, so if there are no further questions, I hope I went through that uh, unscathed. Uh, hopefully, uh, thank you. So, uh, feel free. I I am happy to discuss this issue over the over lunch, uh, to discuss this uh, with people in person. Uh, I, I'm really happy. To know. So, if you are extremely pro-Israel or anti-Palestine, I am more than happy to to have tea with you and discuss with you. And we shall. If we disagree, we disagree. That's fine, right? As I said, ultimately, right? What happens here? What happens there, uh, we should, as much as possible, do not bring it uh, over here in terms of... Of course, there will be some, right? You bring the emotions here and and all of that. We need to ventilate, but we do not bring the, the conflicts here, right? So there is... Uh, I think there was a final question. Sorry, will there be a push to change the P5 countries? There has always been a push, right? I think even uh, Mahadeh's second incarnation as Prime Minister, I think he... In his UN speech, he talked about the need to change the P5, something which he has been on about. And I think 
people in the global south they they have talked about this at various points in time but as frederick douglas said power doesn't give itself out willingly it never has and it never will it needs to be taken away from them uh, so i don't know how at this point in time we could take away that right uh, so uh, there is a comment here we should be pro humanity right i not that that's untrue uh, but that is so true that it becomes meaningless, right? Yes. <laughs> Not we should be. I think all of us are pro-humanity, right? I, all of us are pro-humanity. There's a given. I don't think we need to say, ah, I am pro-humanity, I am pro-justice. It's just how we interpret all of this, right? Uh, and where we, how we interpret events depends on our prior standpoints, prior worldviews, and prior biases. Right, so I think to say, oh, we all should be pro-humanity. Yeah, it's not untrue. Nobody can disagree with that. But I think that's already true. That's like saying, oh, all of us need water to live. Right? It's, <laughs> it's true, but it's, it's, it doesn't it doesn't mean much. Yeah. All right. Good night, everyone, and hopefully that was a uh, useful.